strange attraction, mass psychology, synchronicities, and occulted realities. Welcome to the Friday Farcast with Robert Phoenix. Hey, what's happening, everybody? It's me, Robert Phoenix, and I am back again for the Friday Farcast. And boy, do I have a show for you today. Uh, we're going to have Mark Malone from America uh, 21stCentury.com in here in about 15 minutes. And he's got an absolutely fantastic story to share with us. But in the meantime, I want to bring on my buddy, Christopher Lynch, who has been really instrumental in helping change people's lives through his uh, devotion and um, deep knowledge with CBD. Hi, Christopher. How are you doing? Hey, Robert. I'm doing well. Thanks. So how long have we uh, been engaged in this kind of online relationship? A couple months now? Yeah, uh, probably end of March, something like that. So I've known Christopher for um, about eight years, and we just started to get a little more engaged and committed about promoting his business, which is truehempscience.com. And I firmly believe in the product because I've known Christopher for a number of years and I've actually tried the product and it's been, it's been pretty successful. It's been, it's been not pretty successful. It's been very successful in my life. Sorry, I got distracted with the phone call. And um, so we've been working together and I've been helping you promote and bring a greater sense of awareness to CBD and your product on my website and my podcasts. So I just wanted to bring you on today. It's a Taurus moon and CBD uh, cannabis is an earth related product. Totally. <laughs> Taurus is the body. So we're going to talk a little bit about how things are going um, and some of the feedback that you've received from people that, have actually engaged with you and, and uh, purchased some of the product? Yeah, it's going. I mean, the response, I have to tell you, has been phenomenal. Uh, and it's m mostly just getting people to understand that uh, hemp is different than uh, marijuana a little bit, right? And we've seen people, I've seen so many people that you've sent, and we've already had in the short amount of time people repeating uh, using the product. And it's in part because you talk about it. But one of the main things is, is if you end up taking uh, the, you know, cannabinoids on a regular basis, and which is high CBD, low THC uh, cannabinoids, you kind of feel you feel your body start to come in back into balance. And there's no, there's no other way to do it other than it, it, it's experiential. The truth is really experiential. Nobody else can tell it to you. This is not a thought process, but this is something that you feel within your body. And so what we've seen is you've, had, you've sent me people that have had, you know, anxiety, some, uh, you know, a little bit more advanced health conditions, and uh, they're starting to see the benefits of taking it every day. Well, that's an important part because once you start to take CBD, it's not like you're taking a pharmaceutical drug where all of a sudden it hits your system and you're starting to feel the effects in, you know, a couple of hours. It's almost um, sort of borderline homeopathic. Can you talk about 
how the gradual application of CBD is actually a really important kind of aspect to consider when people are, are uh, you know, integrating it into their daily practice. Yeah. So I really think that what it's doing is we're habituated. Our brain is habituated to uh, chemicals and we are used to, and we've wired it that way. And to unwire it, sometimes it takes, you know, you can do it with other things. Meditation, it's a, it's, I think that you have to apply CBD as a mindful exercise in addition to other things that you're doing. But what it does do is the endo human endocannabinoid system, uh, when you get endocannabinoids or when you get phytocannabinoids to supplement your system, they reduce cortisol. That's one of the main things that reduces stress. Um, then, uh, uh, you know, the side effects of taking CBD every day is inflammation comes down, pain comes down, but there are other stuff and it's kind of twofold at about 20 to 40 milligrams daily, seven to 10 days inflammation at plus 35 days and about 35 to 40 milligrams, depending on your weight, you'll see your A1C come down. You could have blood pressure come down 15 points. You could have uh, cholesterol start to come down. And what it's really doing is bringing the body back into a higher state of balance because uh, you know, I really believe what it's doing is somehow we're able to be more mindful with our daily patterns of behavior, and we're less apt to, to do things that take us out of balance. Interesting. So I would say that to some degree, CBD is a, um, I wouldn't call it a cure, but it, it is a, a, a first line defense against habituation. Yeah, it's a remedy for the uh, stress or it's a remedy for our modern day because it does connect you back to nature. The thing is, is you're it's not a, a, uh, if you get into morphogenic fields and I'm sure you know a little bit about Rupert Sheldrake, you've got a plant, the cannabis plant. And I'm not saying marijuana. I'm talking about cannabis that people have been taking for twenty five hundred or however many years since the beginning. Um, but that, uh, makes 120 components that we have receptors for that's intelligent design. Any way you put it and right. that, that, that kind of helps bring us back into our body and we are a part of nature. And so I also believe that there is a certain electrical component. We are really electrical beings, not chemical beings and which means if we can keep proper voltage in our body then our bodies will make the proper uh, hormones and chemicals to you know perceive reality whereas if you don't if you're low voltage all chronic disease stems from low voltage conditions arthritis so what, cancer so what we're really talking about here is an internal reset right this yeah. is really what we're talking about and I think it's interesting because we have this whole idea and concept of the negative reset or the dark reset, which we're going to get into with uh, Mark Malone. But this is another way of looking at the reset from a more positive, analog, holistic perspective. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and I believe you can run more current. So it helps with the uh, 
CBD by U.S. patent is neuroprotective. I believe that I've seen it be neuroregenerative with people and definitely with myself, which means the electrical, the external electrical pressure on the parasympathetic nerve, sympathetic nervous system, maybe we can withstand it better. So in a time where we have all of these levels of stress, whether they're electronic stress, oxidative stress, uh, you, you know, information stress, we have to find, we have to find ways to counteract that and bring some balance back to our lives. And I really do believe in CBD um, is a really uh, positive uh, agency for that. And, the, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why. One of the reasons why is because I know you and I interact with you, you know, maybe a couple times a month and, you know, analog in person. And your attitude is always really positive. Um, you, you're always more than, you know, willing to spend time with people, answer their questions. And I've seen you go through some pretty deep and dark patches in your life, right? Yep. And yet you, you come back to the surface and you're, you're not just like, who knows, maybe at times you were struggling more than I knew, Yeah. but, but your attitude and your, you know, your daily vibration is above the line. And, and I, I got to think that CBD has something to do with this. Sure. Because it does like you can be present for the pain or the emotional pain or whatever you're going through, you can stay present to it and you don't go into those habituated patterns, which were habituated from the past. And I feel like after about four years on it, I hit this point where it really made a neurological change. I have had, you know, one of my buddies who I started this business with um, had, uh, we used to run a machine shop. So he was bending, lifting heavy stuff, you know, a fairly substantial uh, machine enterprise business. And he had neuropathy in his, on, on the sides of his legs and, and, in his, and he had a really hard time bending over all of it, gone now. Wow. I mean, that's some pretty heavy dose CBD, but it'll do, some st- it'll do a lot of stuff for you. So what we're really talking about here is a practice. Like CBD is part of a daily practice that you've incorporated into your life personally and professionally over the last four to five years, longer than that, but yeah. four years consistently. That's, a, that's yeah, an you, interesting perspective. I've never really looked at it from that, that angle. Yeah. I think you saturate and then you kind of see where you are and right. you, but saturate is one to four months of enough to feel it. And then when you stop, you'll see like, Oh, uh, it's non-addictive, but maybe I can work on this other stuff to be mindful. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. That's a good point. Yeah. So I want to ask you like a, a business related question. Yes. As a relate, and it's more business meets kind of metaphysics. Yes. So you and I started to work together in March and really from, you know, my community and, you know, Chataria, the response has been really positive. Yes. Now, I, I want to ask you, since March and the kind of the updraft that you and I have been working on, has that actually impacted other areas of your business, i.e. are more people walking through that door? Are you getting more sort of, this would be kind of, you know, not necessarily related, 
but more on kind of a vibrational and momentum level. Oh, like uh, hands down, it's all it, yes. You, I feel like I caught it, and and you're part of the ride for me. Also, feel like this is a service for other people. That once you can understand it, even if you don't do our CBD you find good, clean quality CBD because really it's the plant that's the remedy, right? And I, and I feel blessed to be a part of what you're doing because I do understand velocity of money, which is if we circulate money within people that have or do some sort of commerce between people who have similar ideas, similar value systems, then that whole system comes up that's rather right. than take capital out of it. Like, I mean, the obvious example is Walmart comes into a community, small businesses go away. But the other thing is, is you provide a valuable service, which is either astrology or just your daily podcast. And this circulates and then we can uh, trade and, you know, it is money, but we trade the information and the uh, some sort of commerce to that is a, a beneficial to everybody so that this whole ecosystem can be raised. And in that, not the raising is not only the information and, but, you know, with the addition of what we're doing, the health aspect, the, the results are tangible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been my idea and intention is that all boats rise, right? All boats rise. And we're part of this, you know, for lack of a better term, a circle of life. And you and I, interact and and we talk and we talk about what's going on in the world we talk about you know how we're doing in terms of our partnership here uh, and then you talk with people directly and i have a little bit of contact with people who say they love the gummies and some of the other products but we, what we don't know is how it's impacting their life beyond that right are they becoming more balanced more productive are they becoming uh you know more of a for lack of a better term example or a symbol for people with wellness and how does that impact their environment so this is a beautiful thing right we're we start with one one item one idea one intention and we and we drop it into a body of water and then the ripples start to move out from there well right? and that's what you you know i really like that because that is what i have I remember watching your podcast years ago and like, it takes a lot to do it every day where you don't see it, you know, right. and where you're putting it out and it's kind of the same thing. It's, you just drop it, you drop it. And eventually that those people tell two people or it, it starts to pick up more speed. And even, even if it's just bringing awareness to people, I feel like the house is on fire. Krishnamurti used to always talk about the house is on fire. I, that's kind of how I look at it is this is a point at which it's time to see where we are at in the moment now, you know? Right. Well, we need all the tools that we can have at our disposal in order to I don't like that word disposed, like we're throwing away uh, the, the tools that we have at our, our, at our convenience, right? You know, we need them to be able to get through these times and also build the visible and infrastructure for our own lives and our own community. So I, that's why I feel really strongly about this. And that's why I have you on. And that's why, because you and I share a similar frequency of consciousness, a similar bandwidth of consciousness. I wouldn't do this with anybody else, honestly. 
No, I feel very fortunate, man. You've been a great, I mean, I love the people that you've sent. First of all, they're all phenomenal people. I did meet some amazing people at your barbecue. Right. Uh, yeah. I you were great, by the way. Meat, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. ate meat. You ate meat too. That was, <laughs> what the, that was a big deal. in Rome, right? When in Rome. I love that. So I love the landing page. It's a great landing page. Thank Super you. calm. Perfect for Moon and Taurus. And I want people to pay attention here. This is truehemscience.com backslash ref backslash 23. And one of the things that happens if you get to hundred dollars and I know you're not a, you know, you're, you're not a price fascist. Sometimes people get in 95, oh, we, we, whatever. We hook up anybody that we really know comes from you. We hook them up. I always work some sort of thing. We're in the process of trying to build a backend customer loyalty, uh, uh, database so that we can kind of track what's going on and, uh, you know, reward people accordingly. Plus I like people to understand like, Oh, this is a little bit different. It's like, a Merlot and a Pinot or something. You're you know, great at that. Okay. You are so fantastic at breaking down each one of your um, compounds, each, each one of your varieties of CBD. And you know, you, to the best of your ability, you know exactly what they do, what they're good for. You're extremely generous of your time. And I know you're busy because when, when you and I, like just before we went live, you had people in the shop, there was a lot going on there. So uh, Christopher, I want to thank you for your time and all, all your work and your effort. So truehemscience.com backslash ref backslash 23. There's a code 15 mins one five capital M I N S that that'll, that'll alert Christopher that to know that you're coming from this world and you get the goodies, you get the hookup, which is almost always the extra product, you know, and, and he'll, sure. he'll turn you on to some new stuff too. All right. Marcus, Marcus here. I got to get out of here. Thanks, um, thank you for your time. Have a great weekend and we'll talk yeah. soon. I appreciate it. Ciao. All right. Take care, Christopher. That's my buddy, Christopher Lynch from uh, true hem science. So it's always great to have somebody on that actually knows what they're talking about, right? Like the, sure. I'm helping him. I'm promoting you know, his business and his product, but it's not just the promotion of the product. Like, I bet you just learned something within the last 15 minutes. And if you connect with him, you call him, you're learning some stuff, right? So it's not, it's not just like you're buying a product. You're having an interaction with another human. That's important. And number two, somebody who knows what they're talking about, you're going to learn something. So with that, Let's bring on our next guest. You're going to learn a lot here. This is going to be great. I've been waiting to do this for a while. All right. Well, it looks like we're live. There you are, my man. Good to see you. You too, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm really, really good. I'm extremely psyched to have you on the show today for a number of different reasons. Before I do that, I just have to do this one thing. I got to okay. make sure that I've got some of your, your goodies here that I can play live. There's only one way I can do that. And that's to send a link to myself. Okay. And that, and that way I can, and I didn't have the requisite amount of time, 
but I will in just one sec. So I appreciate your, your patience and other people. So one of the things that's really, I was thinking about this today. It's like, well, what am I going to say on today's show? Because I, I have these conversations in my head. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that occurred to me is that I knew you before you knew me. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, I really knew you before you knew me because you have, you hit, by the way, you, you hit the lottery. You hit the lottery in the, um, uh, the wife stakes, right? Yes. You, Jillian is, she's the winning ticket. And that's how I knew you because she was a client mm-hmm. and, and she was like, well, I'm, I'm interested in this guy. What, what do you think? He lives in England. He's in some kind of a metal band. And I'm like, okay, well, let's look at his chart. And she brought up your chart. I'm like, I like this dude. Like, I like this dude. I think he's a good dude. And I think you have, I think you, you could do some interesting things with this person. And how long ago was that? Like around maybe 2014 or something like that? 2015? When did you meet her? 2017. So five years. Five years. Exactly five years years ago. Yeah. So I must have had that conversation with her early 2017 or 2016. Right. Because I've been interacting with uh, Jillian for about a year, I think. And I'd met her through Facebook. And I'm just like, wow, this is a really quality person. And then, boom, you, you come into her life. And it's like, you hit the ground running. You just absolutely, you get, well, almost almost hit the ground running. You hit the ground running with her, but you went through this interesting transition from like the Santa Barbara area, correct? Where you landed. That's where she was. Mm -hmm. And I saw you go through a few iterations. You were trying to do a podcast. And I think I actually had you on my show or you, uh, you did a show with the other guy and you had a bit of a falling out with him. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So you were actually very engaged early on in this kind of alt media world. And you've been trying to find your your place mm-hmm. in it, and boy, have you found it! You've 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 hit the mother load. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, well, you know, it's funny on that move. And yeah, of course, I did hit the jackpot. That's why I moved here, right? It's like, how often do you find a beautiful woman that's red pilled, that's feminine enough to want to actually be female? Um, uh, you know, it's it's very very difficult to find. So it's like, all right, find a unicorn. Got to take got to take it, move to America. But, you know, as I don't know if you know this, but in the first year and a half or so moving here, it was an extremely difficult transition for me. Excuse me. Like it was, it's not that I didn't like America. I'd always liked America, especially since I understood what the new world order was. Right. And since I understood that the, the purpose was actually to break down nations and especially the, the American nation. Once I understood, which we're going back to like 2010, when I started learning about all of this, so I'd always liked it when I understood that there were two Americas. There was, there, was a, there was like a fake one and a real one. And I'm talking about the real one. You know, and you could look at that as like corporate versus law and, and all of that. But um, needless to say, really struggled with the transition because I was like, what, what am I really doing here? I mean, she could have come to me. In fact, she even offered, should I come to England? And I said, no, I've got to come to you. But I had no idea why. Because I had a lot, you know, music's a hard life, uh, a hard business to make it in. And, you know, in the band I was doing, it, it took a couple of years, but finally started playing like, you know, clubs and stuff, a couple of hundred people showing up per show, touring around the country, you know, and kind of just starting to break that seal when I was like, I've got to go to America. And the guy's like, what? This is what we worked our lives for. And I'm like, I know, but I don't know why. I, I don't know, but I just have to go. I have an intuition that I have to go. And it was very difficult. And of course, when our, when our son was born, the first of literally three children, 
because the third one's going to be due in a few weeks. Um, that's one baby a year for those that are listening. Yeah, you, you've um, been busy, man. You and Jillian have been busy. It's the Irish Catholic genes just <laughs> keep popping them out. So um, the when my son was born on March 12, 2020, which as you know better than anyone, because you're kind of the one that told me that was the three-day window, 11, 12, 13 of March 2020, when this uh, New World Order energy really came to the forefront. So he was born right in the middle of that. He's got that baked into the cake, which is right. why he's very, very eccentric, to put it mildly. But when he was born... That's when I realized why I was here, why I was brought here, because as he was, as he came out and the world changed, I, I was like, if, if, if I'm going to have a stake in turning this around, I have to be here. Right. Because if I did it, one, that the system in England doesn't work, and we can talk about obviously all the work I do. I, I know people will need background, but the English system obviously isn't a constitutional uh, subset, a subsidiarity republic like we have, makes it almost impossible to make real changes right but even if i were lucky enough to be able to get into it and, and do that the people um the people are not uh, oriented towards revolution <laughs> like my blood is it's it's like not oriented it's a very so the, just me jumping in here the english system is really trippy and weird and odd and that when you come out of and, and i'm i may get some of this wrong because you were born there and raised there but from my perspective, when England comes out of the war, World War II, they begin to adopt socialism. Mm -hmm. And right. the social programs kick in. Um, and then a lot of, I mean, you can even look at somebody like uh, Kim Philby, who's a, a spy. And one of the reasons why he's a spy is because he believes that socialism is the antidote for fascism. Mm -hmm. And fascism is the thing that was propelling the bombing of London, Right. Like it right. made their world, you know, uh, hard to live in and destructive. So they're going to, they're going to like check that box. The enemy of fascism is my friend, mm -hmm. which at that time was Russia, communism and socialism. So you have that going on right in the background. And then you have this really stratified caste system, which people don't often talk about in England. Like you have your, your blue bloods, uh, people that go to the, the public schools, Right. And in order for you to to break through and get into that system is nearly impossible unless you really sell out. There was this really interesting movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, it's called The Plowman's Lunch. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Um, it's uh, it stars the guy. What's his name? He was the he was the lead character in Brazil. Sometimes some people think he's the pope. He's actually playing the role of the pope. What's what's his name? Um, it'll come to my mind. Anyway, the plowman's lunch is a really fascinating tale of somebody who gets involved with an affair with a woman who is above his class. Mm. And there's the media, the media is involved. And he believes that through her and through his and he's a media guy in some way sucking up to that upper class, he'll be able to break through that glass ceiling. And at the end of that movie, he is rudely awakened that he has a place in the system and it's not with them. Talk about that a little bit and how that is like on the surface and then not on the surface. Yeah, sure. So it's interesting in a way that that is actually now being broken down, but it's, not being broken down because they're breaking down the caste system. It's just because the entire Great Reset is changing all caste systems to be something obviously very different. 
but but generally speaking that that is correct and you know i come from not not i don't even come from working class i come from the underclass right so single mother five kids um we we survived on like welfare about 200 dollars a week for five kids um mother was um you know doing all sorts of things um my dad died when I was seven. He was schizophrenic, took his own life. My stepfather came in. He was a heroin addict and a heroin dealer and went to prison. A um, lot of violence, a lot of, uh, lot of crime, petty crime mostly. These aren't like, you know, uh, anything we would, nothing too severe. But I think the important is, is the, the, the cast that I come from, looking even at the middle class, which we would consider just like the lives that we live in suburbia America would be considered a different world, right. let alone the upper class and the elite class above them. Uh, so you're always very aware of the fact that, well, you know, these middle-class people, because <laughs> we looked up at middle-class people like that, like, uh, you know, they have two parents, just even having two parents and two cars is, is luxury where I come from. Right. And, and of course, when they're in there, they're like, yeah, but we still have to work our ass off, which I now know as someone in that middle class system. It's like, yeah, it's actually harder to stay here, um, you know, but yeah, it, it's very real. And of course, you know, I, one example, when I was a child, I went to school um, and I got free school meals because of being in the poverty that I lived in. And, uh, you know, kids would make fun of that. They'd be like free school meals, like you're a tramp, you know, all of this kind of things. And so they're reinforcing that caste system. Right. Right out of the gate. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. I'm afraid my white privilege didn't get me out of that caste system, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> so it didn't really help with the with the bullying, whatever, you know, which is it's kind of fortunate how God works in mysterious ways, because, um, you know, I started martial arts at 12 and, and became black belt when I was 16. Probably wouldn't have done all that, you see, had I not felt the necessity, you know, and mother is the necessity of invention. That's kind right. of like this whole operation I'm doing now. It's like. Son's born. I need to do something, you know, and that's right. the way it is. Right. Yeah. So that's an interesting uh, little point of departure in the conversation because I know your chart, your Scorpio rising, you got Pluto on the ascendant in Scorpio, right? So you are going to be transformation based. Everything about your life is going to be transformational, whether your agency in the world or whether even having a child at the time that you had that child. Right. So you, we begin to see what's going on with the world. Like you, you, you know it, I've been, I've been talking about it and then boom, it happens. And then here comes your son. Like you're part of my language here, but you're fucking getting hit with this double whammy of your life has changed like drastically on the macro and on the micro. Can you like, just talk a little bit about that and try to articulate what that might've been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I was just kind of integrating. It's funny, actually, because uh, we skipped over the you know, music music part, right? And music used to, and you know this, but, you know, just for, the, for, for everybody else, like the music part was a big part of my life, obviously, when I left. And then I was just starting up in America again. I had a band. We actually played in Hollywood at the Vibe Rooms and stuff. What was the name and, of your band? What was the band's name? Uh, the one in America was called Sovereign Sun. Um, okay, I like so, it. And, uh, but it, you know, it was just new, it was just starting out. And it's like, oh, this is great. Played Hollywood, you know, and obviously had all my problems in California. But so this is January 2020. And I was like, this is great. You know, I'm like, I'm getting my business, my work up and running, the band's up and running. Um, Jill doesn't have to work anymore so she can stay with the baby. I was like, life's fantastic. Finally, first time in my entire life, stability. 
boom <laughs> right lockdown happens child happens like all the everything breaks down it's like okay band's obviously gone uh the the economics are rocky but i managed to make it work i adapted and that's one thing of course you have to do when you come from the world i come from you have to adapt otherwise you will die so you know for me in a sense it wasn't as bad because i was like oh great depression i spent 25 years of my life so far in a great depression so um not frightened of that but funny enough that the most difficult part was like looking at my son and saying i have a couple of choices here i can i can revert to try to do what's right for me or i or, or i can have to i can really truly do what's right for him uh, and that's that's the decision i had to make and and not just him but but all of our children ultimately because you know i looked around at the adults and i was like you all deserve this like all of us in fact all of us deserve this i you know the beginning of the covades I told people, I was like, look, I've done, the, I, I've done data science work. I, I've studied philosophy of science. I understand all of this stuff. I'm telling you it's a flu. People were like, no, 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 it's the end of the world, whatever. So I looked around and I thought, you get what you deserve. Like the Joker at the end of his movie when he shoots Robert De Niro in the face. But then I thought, but the babies don't, right? The, the children do not deserve the world that's being built for them. That is to come. So I guess i had to just make a decision like do i do i do i go back to where i came from do i allow this cataclysm to put me back or do i allow as you said to to transform and, and transcend and through god's good graces i managed to do the latter i hope but it's a constant constant battle it is and i remember when my son was born it, it was under different circumstances but in some ways similar he was born in 2004 and it was coming right out of our incursion into Iraq. Right. And, um, I was not happy with that. Uh, I remember I, I lived in Southern California in a place called Escondido. And so we were on the flight path of these massive gunships, which would leave out of like uh, Pendleton, right. Which is in, um, San Clemente area, not San Clemente, uh, Oceanside. And they would fly right over my house in, in, on their way to Miramar down in uh, San Diego. And my kid would be asleep and I'd hear these gunships, three, four of them at a time, you know, low over my place and my house would vibrate and wake him up. Right. And I was so freaking pissed that this was going on in conjunction with you know, what was happening in Iraq, which I knew was a complete and utter lie. Uh, and so I'd always been on that path, but I think subconsciously, you know, that's where I went. It was like, okay, I've got to go deeper, push harder with trying to get people aware of the fact that this is going on for my kid and for the other kids. And I've talked about this before. There are some fathers who, when they have a kid, they get really, aggressive with acquiring resources and putting, you know, their, their sweat into their work and their labor. And they want, you know, they, they take on this role of the quote unquote breadwinner and protector. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, I've seen it. I went the other, I mean, it wasn't like I was a slouch. I kept, you know, up my end of the bargain, but I went into the protective mode with my, with my, my kid. And so I started to double and redouble my efforts like I used to drive around with this bumper sticker on my car and I had had made specifically for me. And it was, a, uh, it had an illustration and it was a day without chemtrails is like a day without cancer. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's how, you know, that's how far back this was around 2000 and 
they probably ate. And I remember my, my now ex-wife bitching about the bumper sticker, but people would come up to me and they would talk to me about the bumper sticker. Like, what do you, what does this mean? What are you saying? And I'd be able to talk to them about it. Right. So you and I were kind of similar in that way. The only difference is that yours is like hello Pluto, more extreme. You know, you're going to go through the deep transformation with, with literally with one shot. And now you have another child on the way. So that's going to make three. Right. And you're, you're starting to get an old, you know, you're kind of an old hand at this. How have you changed? Because there was that kind of initial baptism into awakening, a deeper awakening. And now you're downstream with this. We're going to talk about where you are professionally, which is, is mind blowing. Sure. But internally, like child number two, number three is on the way. Where, where are you in that kind of relationship with parenthood? Yeah, you know, uh, without sounding cliched, but, you know, it's just the truth. It, it's really the greatest gift that I've ever been given because having having babies is is kind of the first thing is that, it you know, the old saying is that you don't know your capacity to love until you have a child. Right. That That's the old saying. And, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I feel the same with my wife. The other thing is that I think it, it, it forced me that going back to the, the necessities, the mother of invention, it, it really forced me. There's no way I'd be doing all this That's had right. I not had children because I would have just been like, well, I, I'll make my own way. I'll be okay. You know, and everybody else deserves what they get, you know? And so it forced me to, it forced me to transform. It's forced me to be, um, to become a patriarch, you know, which I know has got a bad rap nowadays. Um, but, you know, like everything, there's two sides, right? A, a authority can be competence or tyranny. In the case of me, I try to lead obviously with competence and not tyranny. Uh, but you, of course, you can be a tyrannical patriarch, which is not what uh, I try to be, obviously. Um, it's, it's leading from the front. It's, I expect my family or my community, or even now, much, much greater a field to, to, to act upon something. I better be doing it myself. Yeah. And, you know, having those children with each one forces me to, to have to do that. It's like, I'm going to have to. Plus, I, it's interesting, the, the, the vast majority of, of uh, children that come from the ghetto environment like I do, um, you know, they tend to repeat the patterns of behavior, right? I mean, it's, it's, we, we know this from the inner city data and obviously like all of this. So for me, I, I utilized it. And maybe this is something that you can speak to astrologically that obviously you'll understand in a way that I don't. But for me, I was like, okay, I know what I, what I need to run away from. I didn't have an idea of what I was supposed to replicate because I didn't have the role model to replicate what I've created now. I just knew not that right. anything that's not that has to be good. So it's, so I just pushed and pushed and pushed as far, as far away from that as I possibly could. And that also tied into the philosophical work. So I, I since we've met, I also started studying at Oxford um, online uh, philosophy of science, just to get my scientific chops back up. I'd worked in analytics and data science before that, but I really wanted to dive deep on the scientific method. And of course, uh, the philosophical assumptions that come with that. So I got some pretty great A training um, on some of these things. And really, it was just constantly pushing forward and constantly going, I need to get as far away from that as I possibly can in every area of my life, whether that's being a good husband, father, you know, being, uh, uh, being sharp mentally, being sharp physically, although the physical one I'm not as great at, but any, these days. So that's, I think, the purpose for me. Yeah, I think that's Pluto. Pluto on the ascendant. You you eliminate, right, what's not working. Right. You eliminate what you don't want. So what's left over is the 
you know, the refinement from the dross. And I think, I think that's how, that's how it seems like you're moving through life, right? Like you're moving towards the things that are distilled and left over from that elimination process. That's what it yeah. feels like to me. Yeah. You know, it reminds, and, and, and the founding fathers of this country uh, were like, it's very interesting because the course the bill of rights is like a prohibitive document, right? So this is the difference between like European union law and that's actually part of the rift between the English and the Europeans always. It's always been this way. And of course, the best of the English came here and founded a country. Uh, but even the ones that stayed still maintained some of that element, which is it's kind of the Anglo way to, to cut out bad and just kind of let people do whatever they want to do outside of that. And on the continent, the view was different. The view was always positivism as opposed to, to so it was a via positiva versus via negativa. So the, our founding fathers did the via negative approach. It's like, okay, look, do not inhibit these 10 things. Don't stop people from being free to speak and bearing arms. Outside of that, do whatever. And, you know, the, the European Union now is like, no, no, we, you have to say this. You have to do this. It's not like you can't do that. So I've always, I've always thought that that's more of the, um, the, the masculine model, which is like, look, if we can cut out evil and we can cut out parasitism, um, it's really important then to let people stumble because they're going to have to pick themselves up to learn along the way. We, we cannot be there to caretake them. But at the same time, we cannot be passive to allow people's rights to be trampled on either, be that by an individual, corporation, government, whatever. Right, so right. I, I feel like I just really align with that. And maybe it's because it's in our, as Western men, it's just deep in our history. It's just deep in our heritage, deep in the blood. Maybe it's to do with that sort of Christian foundation to, to the law that we have. I, I don't know, but I think it's definitely there cut out the bad and let people figure it out from there, you know, which is kind of the work I do now. This is my kid trying to, speaking of kids, he's trying to get a hold of me. My apologies. That's all right. I mean, is, I, I, mine is always stamping around upstairs. Like, so you'll probably hear him some point. Yeah. Well, stamping his feet. He's at that wait, two and a half year old age. Wait, wait till, wait till they, wait, wait till they get to the, to the age of 18 and start bugging you for, the contact for the uh, Airbnb that they're going to go hang out in in Florida. Um, nice. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, let me turn my volume down. I apologize for, I thought I had right. bring her down. Okay. We're good. So let's, let's get up to speed with the amazing transformation that's occurred in your life, which you've been working assiduously towards before we do, is there a place where people can go online and actually listen to some of your music? Yeah, I think uh, both the UK band and the American band are both on like Spotify and Apple Music and stuff. So Sovereign Sun only has only had two songs, but of the American yeah. band, you can find those on all of them, Apple, Spotify, etc. And uh, Taurus was the UK band, the one that went quite a bit further. That was uh, T-O-R-O-U-S. So yeah, you can find them. There's actually like a couple of records for that band. You can go listen if you're into heavy metal. If you, I mean, it's sort of like somewhere between like Tool and Metallica, and uh, it's a bit of everything in that kind of '90s, mid 2000s era. Because that's the music I grew up with. So, right? Were you um, were you like a new metal guy? Were you into new yeah, metal? Yeah. I was. Yeah, yeah. Because that that's kind of that was really the music that got me into heavy metal. Was like the Disturbed and Corn and Slipknot and all of those kind of early 2000s bands. Yeah, you right. know, and I was like 12, 13. Yeah. You know, like on a school bus, like, yeah, just those were good days. I miss those times of simplicity when 
uh, I didn't know what people were thinking because there was no social media. So you just had to like go and ask them what they liked. Right. Days. So yeah, exactly. Well, cool. We'll put some links, and if we have some time, maybe we'll go to uh, drop in on Spotify and play a Sovereign soundtrack before we get out of here. Oh. Uh, l- let's talk about you right now and the amazing transformation that you've gone through because you have become uh, a hot ticket in the world of alternative media and traditional media. And uh, let's talk about how that happened. There's a genesis to all this. You want to you want to you want to fill people in on uh, the the sort of the early stages of that, and we'll bring them up to speed where you are now. Sure. Um, so I think you know we we obviously discussed the personal genesis of it, which is son is born. I do all the early COVIDs data modeling. This is obviously March 2020. This is right at the beginning. All of that is public, and I'm like, nope, no, this is wrong. All of this is completely unnecessary. And then I realized. About 27th of March, the exact day I remember, because I put it all on Facebook, the entire day model. It's like, okay, well, then if I figured this out in my spare time in my bedroom, and there are smarter people than me in the world, um, then it must be intentional. And then I was, right. and then I realized, ah, the destruction of the economy ushers in the new system. And then I understood, it, like almost instantly, everything came together. So, okay, so we're March 2020. And then I spent several months of 2020 working through this COVID's process but then i realized but this is just a symptom and just like you know um 911 was a symptom I'm trying to figure out i'm trying to like get around the words here um just like 911 was a symptom as much as it was a major catalyst and by the way the one we just went through was way way bigger because it oh huge it was global single, it was global yeah, global every single person on earth yeah. um but they but they are still of course just symptoms of a, a framework to get someone from, from A to B. So, so these, these uh, crazy cats from a hundred years ago, you know, obviously David Rockefeller, et cetera. And as you get closer to the 1960s, big new Brzezinski and all these people, there's a framework, Henry Kissinger, you know, we all know who they are. There's a framework and we go, okay, so how are we going to get there? And that was where I was stumped at the end of 2020. I was like, there's just no way that we can get the military industrial complex, the federal reserve, the medical industrial complex to try to go after all these, entrenched institutions is um a losing battle at least unless we are going to do like a full revolution so i figured what we need to get one point it needs to be in one point one single point so i literally built a map of the organizational structure of how global governance rolls out and of course it was really first put into action with agenda 21 and 1992 so then what i basically did is i went through all that including the economic stakeholders which is just the world economic forum that's all really they are is the business stakeholders of agenda 21 and agenda 23 so all all on the wall and then i managed to find it at a single point which was at the count the major metro county area of every state and every major metro area of earth so i figured okay this is great if we remove this pin then this string unravels all the way back up to the top now, the, does that mean it fixes all of our problems? No, but it, what it does fix is the, the everything that we have been seeing right now as it relates to our sovereignty, everything from social credit store, uh, all of those things, which we can, of course, go into. So I've, that was really what I was trying to look for. Um, but funny enough, we're at the end of 2020 now, I was just kind of mapping this out. I hadn't gone into the full wall mind map yet. And I was up, I was up a mountain in northern Arizona and actually, I'd spoken to you in November of 2020, and I was getting a lot of demonic attacks at the time. You'll remember mm-hmm. we had a conversation about it. And uh, 
And I had no idea why. I remember saying to you, I was like, I just have no idea. Like, this just came out of nowhere. It's like, boom. Well, that was about November 9th, 2020. And December 29th, 2020, so just about six weeks after, I was up a mountain in northern Arizona, and I actually asked God, what is it exactly that you want me to do? How do I get rid of this uh, entity, this parasitism? And uh, God, I, this is the first time I've ever felt an actual voice. Normally, it's more just like an intuition. It's morally, usually just more like a... I feel what God is telling me, but this was an actual voice and it was pulsating in my torso. It was very bizarre. And it's up a, I was up a quartz mountain in Northern Arizona. So there's an energy thing going on here too, with it being quartz. Anyway, God said, you have to begin because the rest is going to come shortly. So I said, okay. So then that was December 29, 2020. And then two to three days after that, uh, County chairman of Republican party in Yellowstone County. So this is the chairman of the County party in, in Montana reached out to me. He saw one of those early Facebook lives on uh, about the COVIDs and said, I know, you know, a lot about this stuff. Can you help me with agenda 2030? And then that's when everything came into place. I was like, Oh, that's what God wants me to do. God wants me to reverse the infiltration in all the good possible States we can that the enemy has done. So play the same game in reverse, which is go back through the core stakeholders of our States, pull out the tentacles. And then that way, if coastal States go off, with the rest of the world into this new world order, we will not go off with them. We will be free of the tentacles to break our own infrastructure out, to make our own oil, to grow our own food the way we want, all of these things. So it all came together literally two or three days after God told me that it would. And I still had no idea it was going to turn into what it's turned into now. I just kept following the guidance I got from, from, from our father above. Um, and here we are, you know, it's just keeps nuts a year and a half on and it's just nuts. So you, you put together this model within a few days after just saying, Hey, look, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm, 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 I, you know, I'm, I'm hearing these intense voices. I'm, 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 I'm feeling like I'm being attacked. I don't know what to do. Can you, can you help me out here? Right. I mean, that's a moment, right? That's a real moment. And then, and then you have this spiritual intervention that takes place. And it's like, don't worry about it. I got your back. You know, I, I'll take care of these guys over here. Right. And here's your, here's your mission. This is your, this is your walk. Right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. It was, it was literally like any good father would do. It's yeah. like, uh, you know, just come and say, listen, you're looking at all the wrong stuff. Just forget about this. Just look ahead and do this. And I promise you everything's going to rectify itself. Uh, and, it, and it did, you know, and it was very bizarre because I felt an instant lift in, in, in this clouded mind that I had with all these attacks. But well, I, knew, I knew where you were at that time. Right. Yeah. You were, you yeah. were a mess. You were a mess. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, I was hit really hard. Yeah. I, and what's really interesting about it too, is the timing um, of this happening just before God reached out to me. It's, it's almost like these things know they're like, oh, we got to get him down now. Cause if we don't get him down now, we see what's going what the chain reaction is going to be, right. you know, and this has happened by the way, in other periods over the last uh, year and a half, like it happens like any time a week or two before any major thing happens. And even when I don't know if a major thing is going to happen. So it's not like self-referential bias. Sometimes I don't even know like the, like with Infowars or, or, or whatever, they, they start coming out and then suddenly around the corner, something major happens. So it's almost like they're always trying to dig their heels in, dig their claws in. But I will say, the important thing is, is that after God kind of put me on the path, after this uh, true America first 
politicians reached out to me, of which they do exist at the state level. And, you know, I always tell, tell people this, like, you know, South Dakota, Texas, uh, these states had wildly different policies than the rest of the world, which obviously proves that state politics actually matter. Um, but, you know, I, I was just like, OK, I'll just follow it. I built out the mind map and then we launched in June 2021 at the Republican Party convention in Montana. And that's kind of the, the lead up to what started the last year's, uh, I guess, chain reaction. So let's go to uh, the website here. And this is, um, let me do this. I'm trying to close my browsers because I've got this weird power drain now going on with uh, my computer. Let me do it over here and put this in. Let's go to the website and um, we'll bring this up, give people kind of a, a look behind the, the curtain a little bit here. Um, how long has this website been up? Uh, so about May 2021. So about, you know, 11, 11, 12 months. Yeah. Not too long. And, uh, you know, I'm so busy now that I don't even have time to really maintain it all that much. So fortunately, it works pretty well. So if you're interested in finding out more about Mark's work and what's going on, there's the website, America21century.com. And um, here's the landing page, the five-year timeline to take back control. Um, what do you make of this theater with, uh, with Schwab and the UN signing these papers to accelerate the, the 2030 program do they really need to do that i mean we know that they're going to do that mm -hmm. right it's just it's just kind of the theater that they're they're giving us right what do you what do you make of that yeah i mean they, they've been rolling like i mean because the 2030 agenda is just the milestone years that they want to achieve much of agenda 21 which they've been rolling out since 1992 so yeah it kind of is it because they all they've all been stakeholders in it since the beginning and agenda 21 is the beginning um, agenda 2030 is just like by 2030, we want to achieve about 75% of our 21st century goals. Agenda 21 being agenda for the 21st century. Right. Agenda 2030 being by 2030, we want to achieve most of the goals. Um, right. And yeah, of course, World Economic Forum been involved since the beginning. So yeah, it is kind of just theater. I think they do these things to try to activate all the corporate stakeholders they have underneath, right? Like we know at the higher leadership level, they've all been obviously working on this since the beginning, but you know, Within the World Economic Forum apparatus, you might have corporations like, I don't know, what's a good example? Let's just take, say, Walmart or, or Target or some other kind of just basic corporation. Well, then it's probably tried to, to activate the lower levels and to be say, OK, you're not like the Bank of International Settlements, right? You're not, uh, you're not the Rothschild Financial Division. Um, you guys are corporates that fall way beneath that line. So I think these sorts of stage shows you mentioned are really just to kind of activate the lower levels and say, okay, guys, this is where the sea is going. You better go with us or you're going to become bankrupt. Yeah. Let's talk about the ESG, uh, which is yeah. ab absolutely pernicious yes. and, and could just torpedo everything that theoretically people have worked for the whole idea of a meritocracy, mm -hmm. um, the whole idea of providing, better services through, you know, better work, uh, people that are, are, you know, more uh, skilled 
and dedicated to what they do, right? The whole thing that is the synergistic kind of composition that for a number of companies has actually really worked. And in this country, regardless of what you think of capitalism as a mechanism to fuel communism and vice versa, this is a model that has proven to work mm-hmm. where you have competent people who are engaged in the practice of a business that brings value to people, whatever that thing is, whether it's a service or a product, right? That's how this thing is built. And it starts from the top down with competent leadership being able to hire the right people to actualize the goals of that enterprise, whatever that is. And now here comes BlackRock and here comes ESG. And all of a sudden, that's not the case. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's critical because this is actually the beginning of the social credit system that we've all been talking about for years now. So environmental social governance are the three criteria that they want to use to actually implement a social credit system. ESG has already been implemented through the investment firms like BlackRock primarily, but it comes at the behest of the World Economic Forum, which actually comes at the behest of the United Nations Agenda 21. Most of this is in Agenda 21 about how corporations will need to be sustainable to be corporate stakeholders of this global project. So it all always goes back to that 992 framework, ultimately, at least as far as it's codified. Um, so ESG is kind of them just actually enacting that plan. So environmental that part, of course, means that, look, you will not be able to do business in most uh, jurisdictions that are either controlled politically by Agenda 2030, which, as you'll see when you look at my website, is about a thousand cities, or by the ones that might not be politically controlled, but are economically controlled. After all, BlackRock are, are a, I believe, $16 trillion company that is nearly the GDP of the European Union. And that's just one. And that doesn't even include the that they are shareholders in other companies and, and occupied that way. That's, That's just right. their own. Yeah. And then, of course, when you bring in State Street and Vanguard, you're looking at uh, half the GDP of the world, pretty much. So why this is all really important is because, of course, when it comes to ESG, that's the amount of clout. You're basically saying half the wealth of the world is clout, which is yeah. really intense. Yeah. So the environmental thing basically says, oh, you're a company that, um, you're a company that like, manufactures normal cars that we can't shut off remotely if we want to, well, then uh, you're just not going to be able to do business here because we're, the rent is now going to go up. You're not going to be able to afford it. You're not going to be able to buy the parts because we've banned you getting the parts. And we're actually going to give a huge loan to this electric car company. That's right. Over here, right? That's so that's right. how the environmental part works. The social part is equally as pernicious, but not quite as totalitarian um, in the sense that the environmental part covers everything. It can cover how much water you use, where you buy your food, how much you travel, etc., where you work. It can literally cover everything, which is why the social credit system has to come in through the climate carbon credit score primarily. It's the only way you can get truly totalitarian. Even the Vax Pass is just nowhere near as bad as what this thing can be. It, can, it right. can monitor how many times you shower. So the social part is, hey, you work at a company and you don't have three black, gay, Jewish, Muslim females in wheelchairs working on your shareholder board. Well, then... Um, we can't do business with you and we have half the world's wealth. And of course we are operating under the jurisdiction of agenda 2030 in most major areas in the world. So that's out. And then the governance part is the final part and the most important part really, because as I've talked about throughout all my work and what I've been doing throughout, this is actually how I've had political progress, by the way, believe I think it is down to this single issue. 
big part of the problem that I used to say, and that a lot of people in our movement have said, if we, if we say our movement, is uh, that the New World Order is world government. When in actuality, they've never ever said about world governments, it is global governance. And then when we understand that it's global governance, you, suddenly, you, you have the evidence everywhere. It's different. I, I mean, the two things are very different when you really break them down. It's, and it's critical too, because if we were to get senators and representatives and uh, all of this, and I, I, there's a big announcement that I just did yesterday, which I'd like to come to positive um, about this. But if we are truly to move the dial in this, everything has to be completely evidentiary. So in, in this case, that's perfect because global governance, as I have throughout this website, is in the World Economic Forum, Council on Foreign Relations, United Nations, everywhere. So it's easy to prove. So we can say this end of ESG, this governance, basically means that they can usurp the nation state completely. It, it means that you have a stake in this identity of America as a American national, as a citizen, whatever. You have a stake in it. They have a stake in you. You have a stake in it. But governance you you don't actually have a stake in like you don't have a stake in blackrock and you certainly don't have a stake in the united nations or uh the world economic forum so global governance basically gets to usurp the nation and the stake you have in your traditional system completely and they can do it just you know they don't even have to do it with like um, a major upset it's literally just grinding down the old system as we've been going through we're we're watching a controlled demolition floor by floor by floor by floor Yep. Yeah. And you you and I share a similar um, idea, which is, and this gets into the, 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 the whole, um, uh, um, you know, concept of the fourth turning, right? Like, or, you know, the, these turnings that happen, you know, over time and we're in the fourth turning now. And one of the things that happens in the fourth turning, again, based on, uh, the authors of the of the book is that governance is more local during this time because it's like the winter of these seasonal turnings. So the ability for people to make any kind of impact on on a, a national level or international level is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like okay, get your get your hands, you know, wrap, wrap your arms around this locally, and then see what you can do. And some people have been better at it than others, right? Like I ran for city council here in uh, Fredericksburg. And I talked about a lot of the things that you have brought up, Mm -hmm. right? It was basically what I was running on and attempting to find a way that locally where, you know, we can, we can make a difference. We can shut, you know, we can eliminate the things Mm -hmm that got in the way of what happened to us in 2020, like the hospital, basically the local hospital running the agenda of the town of the town and everybody just kind of falling in behind that. Well, you could stop that if you wanted to easily, mm-hmm. right? You just have to have some balls and you, you know, and say, no, this is the line in the sand. You know, we're, we're not going to go there. Uh, you know, we may, we may decide to, you know, do a few other things here, but we're not going to let the hospital, dictate the policy and then set up all of these injection sites in and around the town and have a sign, one of those blinking road signs when you entered into town telling you where to go to get your damn shot, Mm -hmm. right? There are things that you could do. You could stop that. You don't have to do that. 
And one of the things that I ran on was like, hey, let's make every business essential. Every business needs to be essential. If you're going to keep Walmart and McDonald's and the liquor stores open, but you're going to shut down the restaurants, that's not cool, right? That is not cool. So we, we need to make a, have a more, you know, we, we need to have a mandate here that every business is essential. This is what I talked about. And, you know, I did okay. Nobody knew who I was. And I got close to 200 votes where somebody got elected with, I think, 450. Right. That's so pretty good. it's not bad. But my experience on the local level is that you're going to find the, the temperature different for different places. Some places, they're in it, right? Like here in Texas, there's a place called Rockwall. It's near Dallas. It's basically said like, you know, F you, we're going to, we're going to run our, our business, our city, the way we've been running it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you had a group of people more invested in that model than not. Right. And even though I'm in Texas, the people in the town that I was running for city council in were either much more invested in, you know, keeping their mouths around the cow's tit <laughs> or they were much more invested in, doing what they need to do in order to stay elected and then get whatever perks come around that. Right. So, so, so now here locally, we got these people who are, who are in power now who I think are dangerous because they are the covert agents of exactly what you're talking about here. And they don't know that I'll tell you, I'll tell you something else. This is a really interesting story. We had this woman, Ellen Trostclair, who ran for um, like a state representative here, right? State representative to represent us in Washington. I met her. She came to a tea party candidate get together. I asked her about the world economic forum and Klaus Schwab. And this is a woman who has homeschooled her kids. Who's been in politics. It's not like she's, you know, new to the game. She did not know who Klaus Schwab was. She did not understand the World Economic Forum. And these are supposedly our leaders. And when I talked to her about it, you should have seen the look in her face. She was terrified. She didn't want to hear much more of it. Right. So, I mean, I mean so I'm playing a little devil's advocate here mm-hmm. because there are people that are so entrenched at a local level, which I've seen. I've seen other local areas who are much more uh, open to these ideas and limiting the amount of power and control. Yeah. How, how, how do you, how do, number one, how do we deal with that? Number two, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So I, I guess it's important to, to flesh out that my role is different to the activist role, just like your role is different uh, for the work you're doing right now, the work you've done with me in the past. Um, like we all have a, a certain role. So my role is to attack leadership at the highest point. So in the case of the state, because I, I need to be efficient. We don't have long. Uh, I'm happy to get into the timeline as well towards the end of where I think this is going, but I'm sure it's aligned with where you think it's going, where you know it's going. But we really just have a couple of years. Uh, the main thing being because once Trump comes back in, everyone's going to go to sleep and all the progress that I just made is going to start really slowing down. So this has to be done by the end of 2024, um, which is why the timeline is set out by ending, by a mexiting, by withdrawing from globalism by 2025. 
it's set there for a reason because once Trump comes back in, we're, we're not going to be able to do this at the efficiency we've been doing it right now. So that's really, really important. We don't have long. So my, I have to centralize and be extremely efficient. So I go to the, so I, I map out who's the critical person in each place, who, who controls the budget, first one, which is the senator that gets the bills out that I am most uh, aligned with would be the second one. And then who has access to the governor in the state Senate, who has the ear of the governor would be three. So three people. And this is the Pareto distribution at work, right? When we look at the Pareto distribution, for example, the average uh, Senate district in this country is uh, 167,000 people. So then when we go, okay, so the Pareto distribution would say that the square root of that is about 400. That, that 400 produces half the value for the 167,000. And then half of the 400 is actually about 12. The square root of the 400 is about 12. Anywhere between 20, 10 and 15. And they produce the other half the value. So what does this, so it tells us something really, really straightforward. The numbers that we actually need to move the dial and everything else is, is, is limited if we're strategic about where we hit. So in this strategic case- Strategic is the key. Yes. So like 400 people per Senate district, 50 districts. Okay. Not that many people, very doable. Now that we've reduced the size and we look at what we'd actually need to influence the rest of the population, it's manageable. If I thought I had to change the minds of 350 million people, I never, I wouldn't be doing this right now. Right, right. Um, but fortunately, as we've seen throughout COVID, this is the negative and the positive to the human nature that we, we have. The negative is that we follow regardless, whether that is taking us in a good direction or whether that is taking us in a bad direction. Unfortunately, most people just do that regardless. So my job, all of our job, everyone listening to this, it's our job to institute leadership that goes in a different direction so people follow differently. But people are going to follow no matter what most of the time. And it's, and it's not... Um, this isn't a pejorative. This isn't me talking down to people. When I take my car to a mechanic, I'm following him, right? I don't know how to fix my car. So he's now the leadership in this situation. Right. When it comes to, we, we always delegate. This is actually why I stopped being like a, I used to be very libertarian, like against kind of any type of state. But when I realized that there's absolutely no way of getting around tribe and there's absolutely no way of getting around delegating authority to people that know better than you, I realized that that was a pipe dream and I left that behind. Not that I don't agree with the principle of it, but practically it's just uh, impractical. So yeah, yeah. what I'm trying to do is go, okay, we move the, the core numbers. So we, you know, we need 12 in the state government and a core activist group essentially. And that can do enough. I mean, it seems to have worked in Montana. Funnily enough, there is um, on the website, if you go to the latest blog post under learn, you'll see that I just got word last week from the Montana Republican party. So this is the state majority state government, including the governor, uh, et cetera, where they have now instituted as official policy that they are against anything that threatens the national sovereignty of the United States, including the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, BlackRock, and any subsidiary groups in the pursuit of global governance. That's their official policy. That's now. huge. That is, yeah. that is huge. And the second one is an official policy, and it's literally titled social engineering that they are against any form of social engineering that comes from any corporate stakeholders, including a social credit score and ESG. Those two things are now official policy because I knew that it would be possible if we could just reach the right people within the, within the, the institutions that we have left. So I absolutely believe it's possible, but I just think we have to be extremely, um, we have to be like a fine pointed spear because we really do not have long. So what I would say when it comes to Texas, you're lucky like I am 
So you have a lot of good neighboring places like counties and cities. So the, the, the way that this kind of um, mind, uh, this kind of, uh, what's it called, groupthink works. Right. Well, if you just get all the rest of the ones that are good on board, because that's what I did in Montana. That's what I'm now doing in South Dakota. And we're going to do it in Texas next, by the way. Texas is going to be the third place we go to. The thing is, is that once we get the majority of the other places that are on, are on our side, well, now we have the majority power anyway by just collecting all the ones that we know are more incentivized to work Right, right. I love the model. I yeah. love the model. My camera went weird. <laughs> so now I'm back again. Yeah. It was like I was, I was fucking Max Headroom there for a moment, and I just got glitched out of the matrix. Um, so yeah, the official policy. It's, uh, that that's awesome. That is awesome. Let me, and I'll, t- I'll tell you what, people might say, well, you know, that's just, <clears throat> that's just lip service. No, that's actually something, because there was a guy who confronted Greg Abbott, who's the governor of Texas. And he talked about Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. And he asked him, this is while Abbott was in the Republican primary, do you denounce Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum? And Abbott wouldn't do it. He would not do it. He would say, of, of course, we're not for globalism here, but he would not specifically say those things. So some people may say, well, that, again, you know, that's just, uh, you know, window dressing. Mm-hmm. No, when people actually say something and make a, a statement, especially at a state level, they're committing themselves, right? They are committing themselves to whatever it is that they're um, either negating, promising, affirming, denying, whatever that is. That is a public statement that's on the public record, which is important. Yeah, and, and you know what? I would. You know, sorry, Robert. Go ahead. That's like, and, and Abbott didn't do that. He would not do that. You know what I would want to say is um, we have to look at what our enemy does, and our enemy does the exact thing, right? Like the, the sustainable development goals that have brought in lockdowns and enforced medical procedures. All this they started as simply policy as goals. Right. Our goal is good health and well-being, which means enforced medical procedures and passports, right? Our goal is no poverty, which means lockdowns and destroying the global economy. So everyone is now poor. There's no poverty if everyone's poor. So the point is, is that this is how it always starts. It always starts as goals and policy. You know, so the, I think the idea is that if, because with, with those two that we mentioned, the national sovereignty against uh, global governance and the social engineering social credit store, the Republican Party, which is the majority state government, unanimously supported that. Meaning now, anything that comes down the pike, they've all got to hold each other accountable. But the, the part of the strategy that I deployed was uh, I'm very, like, I've hit a lot of media there as well, like talk radio and stuff, um, as well as just been there doing presentations to the public as well as to the state government. So point is, is I hold them accountable through that too, because I'm like, hey, don't ever forget that I have 200,000 people that know who I am in your state. And if you do not follow through, they will know. And will you keep a job? No. Right. So this is the importance of the top and bottom strategy at the same time. Attack leadership, get the word out. This bottom holds the top accountable. But that's my job. That's my role. That's what the, re- the only reason this has worked is because God put me on the path. There's mm-hmm. absolutely no way that I could have achieved any of this stuff on my own. I mean, like, I'm like a heavily traumatized dude who smokes too much. who has got loads of babies and trying to run a business. It's like, it's impossible. It's so impractical and so improbable, but you know, because it, God has set me on the path, that's the only reason it's working. And I think that we have to always remember that, that God is, is actually on our side. 
And that is why these things can actually work if we commit to it. But I think where I differ from Christians, I mean, I'm more of a Christian mystic. So I look at things a little bit more holistically, spiritually. But right. where, I would, uh, where I would say is that the rubber meets the road is you, you have to commit to the righteous path. Something that Jesus said is that it isn't those that are righteous that are blessed, but those who seek righteousness are blessed. Those that seek it, those that go, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to go for it. I might fail. Right. But I think that's where you get the support from creator. Yeah, so. I agree with you. And I think the real, the real mind trap of modern Christianity is this whole synthetic idea of the rapture, which appears, oh, yeah. no, appears nowhere in the Bible, by the way. Yep, yep. Uh, Cyrus Schofield is the one that popularizes the idea of the rapture uh-huh. and through the annotated Schofield Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the, and you know, it's like, don't worry. Yeah. Just, you know, convert, go to church, try to convert others and don't worry about the world. The world will do what it does. And, and when the revelation, when revelation hits, you'll be raptured. You'll get to watch everything. You have a nice cozy recliner, you have popcorn, diet soda, maybe not even diet soda. Cause then it doesn't really matter. You get to watch everything all hell breaks loose. And after it's done, you set you back down nicely. You get to repopulate the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's such a soporific. It is a spiritual soporific and it's seeped into everything. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I do want to just clarify one thing about the previous statement. I won't come back to this. Um, I actually haven't had to push that hard on the state government I'm working with in terms of, I haven't had to like threaten them that I'm going to go tell people, I'm just using that as an example of the formula that we may have to use with someone like Abbott or someone else later down the line. It's just kind of part of the process. Uh, back to the, the end times thing, that, that really is, I think, the biggest, one of the biggest stumbling blocks that I come into myself um, is the fact that so much of the population that would be the most useful in a situation like this, those that have families, stability, um, you know, facing God, uh, et cetera, are the, sometimes the most useless. Right. The kind of people that I get uh, commenting, you know, on some of the videos that I do, some of them like the TikTok ones sometimes have hundreds of thousands of views a, a day or whatever. It's crazy. But the thing is, some, most of the comments, the critiques are like, well, we can't do anything. The end times, right? Like it's, you know, like it's all futile. And I'm like, um, well, no, because this could easily be, and then I did a presentation about this. This could just as easily be the Tower of Babel instead of the book of revelation entire Babel is a one world system built where everyone is made to speak one language and use one system and the purpose of the tower of Babel is that we're going to reach god we're going to become god we're going to be able to get into the heavens now that is actually much more like what we're going through than right. the book of revelation because that's what transhumanism is we're yeah. going to become gods we are going to reach into the sky we're one system where everyone is forced to be one thing so I tell them that I'm like, why isn't it the Tower of Babel? There's no answer, but it's just because of the Schofield Bible conditioning, which has been going on for like a century, which was done intentionally to break up the strongest group of people in the world, which were the American nationalist Christian population. Right. Which was very, very different, say in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Right. I was, I was actually reading this uh, Wikipedia piece on this guy named Hiram Johnson who was a two-time governor of California. And he was also, I believe, a United States Senator. He was kind of instrumental in helping facilitate the production and the creation of the Hoover Dam. And back when he was, this is the 1920s, back when he was um, 
governor and in a, in a, in a state senator, he actually ran under a progressive label. Like that was his party. He was progressive. And what progressive meant then is very different than what it means now. This is a guy who pushed back hard on the League of Nations. Mm -hmm. He pushed back hard on attending the Treaty of Versailles, right? This is how Americans were in the 20s. Like they knew what was going on. They could see the global game. And he, he, he got behind Roosevelt and he later, Franklin Roosevelt, mm-hmm. and he later regretted that because he saw exactly what Roosevelt was doing was the same thing he was pushing back on. So it's interesting to, to understand that at a certain point in time, we knew these things. And politicians and people that were supposed to be there to serve us mm-hmm. knew these things too. But over time, it got essentially programmed out of them for any number of reasons, which we don't really have time to get into right now. Um, So I want to talk about something that's a little controversial and I don't know, and we're going to get into some of your media appearances here pretty quickly, because I know you got a hard stop at uh, 145. But one of the things that I have always known circle back to whenever you get, we'll use Greg Abbott, for example, Greg Abbott, is a hardcore partner of Israel. Right. Okay. He is not going to make any moves that Israel does not sanctify because mm-hmm. he believes that on, 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 a, on a twofold level, number one, they will help keep him in power, right? That's his gang. Like that is his wedge and ace in the hole against somebody like Beto. Mm-hmm. Like the, whatever, what he'll lean on them, whether it's through, you know, being able to get engaged in the election process, money, whatever, right? That's his muscle. Israel is his muscle. Also, from this Christian point of view, mm-hmm. right, this whole Judeo-Christian world, right, it's, there's a whole sect of Christians who say Israel is sacrosanct. You can't blame Israel. You can't talk about Israel. It's the Holy Land. There's the Old Testament. We are yoked together, right? So this has become problematic in this idea that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's not a politically correct platform or agenda or point of view, but I wholeheartedly believe it's a deep part of the conversation so mm-hmm. much that we're dealing with dual citizens in the national government at a high level serving, right? Inside, they are dual citizens. Name me any country in the world. If you're a dual citizen with Chile, maybe. What about somebody like, I don't know, Belarus? If you were a dual citizen of Belarus, would, would they allow you? Happen. Never happened, yeah. right? There's right. only one country in the world where you're allowed to be a dual citizen and serve as a state representative or a senator. Hell, probably even as a, as a president. What do you, so how do you deal with that? First of all, what are your thoughts on that? And then ultimately, I think that's the golem. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, so I don't normally get into the topic because it isn't uh, directly linked to the work that we're doing. So uh, because the religious part of it is really important, though. By the way, I understand why you don't. I'm not going to slight you for that. I understand why you don't get into it. No, it's it's all good. Um, The reason being because I'm like, okay, if I saw that it was part of the pin that I had to unpull to unravel it, then I would then I'd do so. But I'm making too many enemies as it is. But I will say this. I will say this really important. 
Um, the religious part is extremely concerning for multiple reasons. And I want to use the reasoning of the Bible to show you why it's concerning the most, because that's the best use of reasoning you can use if that's the reasoning that you're using, right? It's better that I use biblical reasoning. So um, the first one is that the idol worship of, of Israel is an extremely big problem because we're not to idol worship anything, right? Beautiful. One, one Great God, point. one creator. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the idol worship of any people or any nation, including even our own, uh, is pfft, contraband, forbidden. And, and that's really concerning of any kind. I'm concerned of anyone that worships any people or any nation to that degree, to the point where it can't do any wrong. Do we think that our own people in our own country can't do anything wrong? I don't think so. So we certainly shouldn't be thinking that about Israel or any country, whatever country it is. Right. So I think that's the first major underlying problem there. People have to let go of, of the idolatry. And that idolatry also exists to some degree towards the Pope as well. And on the other side, also, unfortunately, kind of Trump, too. And I was going to ask you about that because I wanted to circle back to your statement about Trump coming back. And then mm -hmm. you brought up the idolatry piece. Yeah, yeah. And let's just go there now. Sure. Yeah. So that would, that would be what I would say the biggest problem is. And I would also say just to wrap up the, the thing when I look at Israel or when I look at any way that we deal with any international parties, I would say it always has to be justice and reciprocal, meaning that we should, is it reciprocal? Is the relationship with this nation, with any nation, pick the European Union, pick the United Kingdom, pick Israel, is it reciprocal would be the first question I would ask. The second question I would ask would be, is justice being served? Um, and I, I'd ask people to really think about that because I don't know if America's relationships with anyone is truly reciprocal, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I, same with the European Union or, or any other state. I don't think, I think we have to focus internally and we have to let all of these countries do their own thing and we have to stop idol worshiping. I agree. I mean, I've been, I've been preaching that gospel for years, years. So I, I totally agree. That's a good answer. I like the answer. Um, and I, and I think it's, it's fair, it's balanced and, uh, it, uh, keeps the playing field a little even there without, uh, forcing you out of bounds. If you know what I mean, <laughs> I, I have enough targets on my back. So I'm right. keeping it as the 20 I have already, but yeah, um, I think, I think it's, in, these are important questions. People shouldn't be afraid to ask or and I just bring it up because of Abbott. I know, I know where Abbott sure. and his allegiance is. He's not going to make a move unless, certain people again approve of it and sanctify it and we're still under a state of emergency here by the way right i didn't which know gives him complete control over every county mm. so um mm -hmm. he has he has not rescinded that okay we got about uh 20 minutes left here so i do want to play some of your clips to show people how much of an impact and you know you may say well that's nothing but i think it's something so let's let's talk about um where, where are you here? A guy that I'm not a huge fan of, but you actually managed to um, wind up on his show, and that is Stu Peters. And let me see if I can find it here. You gave Good me old Stu. Oh, funny enough, in that interview we were on, he was like slating Mossad. So uh, there you go. He, he was, was really. Oh, interesting. Was. Yeah. He was like, it's uh, Mossad and stuff. So there you go. I got your video taken down. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have said that one. Never mind. No, no, don't worry about it. Okay, so here is... Um, let, me bring, let me bring this up. I think I found it. 
This is uh, you on Stu Peters. And uh, let's, uh, let's play this and we'll try to enlarge the screen. Okay, so um, that's a great interview. I mean, right out of the gate, you've just distilled everything in probably about three, four minutes. <laughs> and I think that's one of your great gifts is the ability to distill information in a way that you take something really high level, you break it down, and within a four to five minute span, people can get the bulk of what you're talking about. Not everybody can do that, by the way. Well, it was you that I, it was you that largely told me about such gifts, you know, and I remember one of the readings that we did and you were like, see all the, I don't even know what you're talking about after time. I don't like, I keep coming back. Cause I'm like, I'm sure he's told me this three times, but I need to hear it again. Something about the planet alignments in the top left corner, the 11th 
like yeah. mm-hmm. and you were like and i remember you saying to me once you're like this is you're blessed with whatever this thing is and i don't even know what that thing was i just remember you saying it was about communication so um but i thought that that was it's interesting because one of the first things jill told me after you your initial reading with her about five years ago she was like yeah he said you have the rock star astrology and I was thinking, oh, that's perfect, because that was what I wanted to do. I didn't right. realize that that was going to be retargeted into a completely different area. I actually thought that meant, yeah, literal rock stars. Great. That's what I wanted to do. God was like, no, we've got plenty of those. We need you on a much more important mission. And I was like, oh, but really? Like, do I, who wants to do this? Like, I mean, yeah. but here we, that's why it's working, I suppose. And then Greg Reese of InfoWars yeah. did a piece but you're not in that piece. He talks about America. Jordan. Yeah. Jordan Maxwell. And he's got, he's got the facts a little bit wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you, because you knew Jordan Maxwell, but he assigned Jordan Maxwell as being like the figurehead or right. the person that was associated with America 21st century, but it's still a good piece. I'll put a link to it. Mm-hmm. So, so people can, uh, can watch it. And then you just recently did another appearance. Uh, what is that? Uh, Beck News? Is that what that is? Yeah, that was a, it's a Dakota's um, cable TV news channel. It's also on the radio. So it's like statewide radio and TV news. So it's like. And it's a show of- called No Apologies. Yeah. Let's bring this up. no apologies and tonight we have with us uh, remotely a gentleman who is i think from montana from what i can tell by i don't want to see some like like uh, dna here with her and hillary clinton she looks like she's related to hillary clinton doesn't she oh gosh i I mean, I'm, I know she's not, but she, there's something going on there. Reading his information. He is involved with America 21. The America 21 initiative, his name uh, came up and it was uh, said to me. And I thought, OK, maybe I should do some investigation. And what I found was very interesting. I'd like to share with you. Um, he is here with us remotely. Uh, it is Mark Malone. Mark, thank you very much for joining us on No Apologies. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So this is an interesting thing that you are talking about on your website, America 21. Uh, it is America21Century.com, if people want to take a look at it. Saving America from global governance. It is a frightening thing. You say on the bottom there, the five-year timeline to take back control. I think a lot of people around the country are wondering, wait a minute, who's in control here and are we completely losing control? Could you just uh, give a little outline and tell me a little bit about your background, but also about what you're talking about on this website sure so uh, i'm a philosopher born in england as you might be able to tell from the accent my wife is from minnesota and we have three children born here too uh so that is why a lot of the media have likened me to thomas Paine, one of the founding fathers who was also from england um so my work essentially has been in data science and analysts uh, i've been an analyst i've worked in academia i've worked in the corporate world and i really just apply those skills to this area the reason that i focus on this is because this Okay, so um, sounds like that went pretty well. Did you get any feedback from this? Yeah, I had uh, Senator Julie Fry Mueller from South Dakota. Um, she reached out and she was just like, that was really great. 
you know, let's get together and talk. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's fantastic. I think that's kind of what the, the most interesting thing about how this whole thing has developed because, you know, we haven't had a single penny of funding. I was doing this entire project myself up until about two, three months ago, all the, all the way from research and development to the, even up to the political work that actually got us where we are now. So I had some support come in and that's actually where Jordan Maxwell comes in. Jordan was a friend of mine and his, his, his carer towards the end of his life and his closest friend is now working with America 21. So basically Jordan's um, family member came to work with me because he believes in obviously what we're doing. And so did Jordan. Uh, but of course it's, you know, I obviously started the whole operation. Everything is what we've said it is. So um up until two months ago. The, the weirdest part about it is that when I was a musician, I used to try really, really hard to get exposure to, to, to like, look, I'm going to like email a hundred radio stations and, you know, maybe one is going to respond and say, we'll play the CD. I haven't booked like a single interview. Um, they, everyone just has come to me. It's like, it's yeah. even, even senators have come to me, even um, multi-million dollar um, entrepreneurs. It's, um, it's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. I get messages, Robert, all the time from people like, thank you for saving America for our children. I'm praying for your protection and stuff. I'm like, what, what do you even say to this stuff? Like, I thought I was going to be playing music on a stage. What am I supposed to do? Well, you just say, you say, you say, thank you. Right. And do your best to stay humble. Keep your head down and keep moving. Yeah. I mean, it's that's sometimes what, the pressure what it's all about. Intense, you know, the pressure can be intense because yeah. There's a lot of expect. There can be internally a lot of expectation about what you're supposed to do. Yeah, um, and then you can feel the weight of these people that you know you're, you you literally have on your back. Like you're you're carrying them in some ways, right? I mean, and you don't want to let them down. That's mm -hmm. the other part of it. You don't want to let them down. Right. So I mean, there's a lot of internal pressure that can go along with something where you are literally like writing you know, the tail of a dragon right now, like you, you are on that ride and, you know, I'm really, I'm grateful that you're doing it because you're well equipped for this. Like you are really well equipped for this. And I think that, uh, that God has chosen a worthy recipient of, you know, the, the blessing, the divine timing and all the things that go along with what happens once you activate your purpose. Right. And then, because we all kind of, not all of us, but there is a process where we winnow out the things that we're not supposed to do through whatever, whatever process that is. For me, it was like, I, I used to be in music in a different kind of way. And, and I theoretically would help people like you, mm. right? I mean, not like you because you were in a different genre of music, but that's sort of what my world was about. In fact, I had a good friend, I still do. He's from England. And he's an amazing musician. And I, I believed in his music. I believed in him personally. And so I would do my best to get on board and help him out. I was moderately successful at it. When I realized that that's not what my mission was, my life changed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had to, I had to kind of keep veering off to what my mission was. So, you know, this is a part of my mission and you've been a part of it. And now you have your own journey and your own walk. And I think it's tremendous. So I, I hope that you just, yeah, man, you just keep doing what you're doing and, um, you know, stay the course and keep the faith. I mean, that's really 
all I want to share and that I'm extremely proud of you and extremely proud that you're in this country and proud to know you. And uh, I, I support what you're doing wholeheartedly, 110% without reservation. So, and it's because I know you, I've known you for a while yeah. and I've seen you evolve over time and you're different than the person that I first met, but you're not mm. like you're becoming more of who you are. Right. So, right. you know, you know, God bless you and keep going, keep going forward. I appreciate that brother. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny really when you answer the call, we all have a call to answer too. This is the, this is the other important thing because for me, I, I got the call directly. Everyone I think is supposed to have a direct call. It's right. just the baptism by fire forced me really forced me out really out into the wilderness quite literally in my case but you don't necessarily have to go up a crystal mountain in northern arizona although it can be a good spot i think the i think it's just what i didn't do is fester in the the, the darkness at home and let it eat away i did for about two weeks and i was like all right i'm bored of this there's no way i'm going down like this if i'm going down i'm going down kicking and screaming all of the way right what I did is um, just kind of let the, the, the trauma and the darkness and, you know, as you know, which I won't get into today, maybe we can do that one other time, but lots of real trauma, not just spiritual stuff. But I was like, you know, what? I just, I, I am unwilling to allow this to be the final point. So just allowed it to push and push and push. And I was like, and I'm going to just, get pushed until I can't be pushed anymore. And that's when I received the voice. It was almost like at the precipice. It was almost like when there was really nowhere else to go. Right. And then, and I think we all are supposed to have that, all of us. I think so. And the one thing that we don't understand about this time is the pressure and the compression, which is forcing more people to get in touch with that. Right. I mean, mm. it's, it, you can say that it is a strange way of, you know, the most high or God or the creator to wake people up, right? Put them in this vice grip mm -hmm. where the world is getting more and more compressed. What's going to happen? Are you going to, you know, pop like a grape or are you going to do something different, something about it, come to some level of awareness where unless you have something higher that you're connected to, you're not going to get through it. And that's just really the bottom line here. Yeah, right. No, that, and I think that that's actually probably the, the best place to end because the reality is, is that had, had we, we all need a connection with God and I don't, it's not my business to tell you what you shouldn't, where you shouldn't, shouldn't find God. Right, I, right. You just have to find God. And, and I want to, there is one thing that I do want to stress, which is you are not God, right? Mm. I don't care. Yeah, if, right, I don't right, care yeah. if you like, I, I've got Aristotle up here. I've got Plato. I've got Isaac Newton. I've got every type of, genius in history and they all believed in a singular god but they didn't all believe in the same singular god and that's fine but these men that are galaxy brains all understood one thing that you cannot anchor the universal order in yourself that makes no sense right that means right. if i crumble everything crumbles right. suddenly logic and mathematics and geometry everything just breaks down because i'm dead nope that all stays so you have to it's just basic philosophy you have to understand that there is a form and an order to the universe. Uh, and we could set this out a series of premises and it would be logically proof. And there's no way around it. There has to be a creator. And it has to be a singular point because one plus one equals two in India, one plus one equals two in England, one plus one equals two in space. 
that means it has to be a singular source because it doesn't differ anywhere right. in right. the space. So the reason that I say all that is just to say that religion doesn't matter. The important thing is you have to find God, your creator, your source, however that conceptualization finds you. Um, but yeah, we, we all have to. Yeah. That is an absolutely terrific place to end. Mark, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll, we'll have you, uh, you know, back on sometime in the future, not too Absolutely. far in the future, right? We'll catch up with you and uh, have a great weekend and uh, give your lovely wife, Jillian, my absolute best. I will. I appreciate your time, Robert. And thank you everyone for listening. Let's stay in touch, mate. All right. We'll do. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank Cheers. you, Mark. Cheers. That was uh, Mark Malone. What a great interview, right? And he's English. He's, he's come over to join the cause once more. And um, how could you not be inspired by that? And the other thing too, and he touched on this a little bit, is that I know some of the trauma that's gone on in his personal life growing up and the things that he had to go through. And he has overcome them. And that's a whole other side of this story. You know, that's an inspiring part of the story that he, you know, was able to walk through the fire of his own life and look where he is now. He's here. He's in the United States. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, his wife is fantastic. Jillian is fantastic. She's a lawyer by trade. And I got to know her through Facebook and as a client. So that's how I got to know Mark and to watch his evolution and his acceleration and his transformation is really inspiring. And, and I, when I look at him and his commitment to his family, his commitment to being what I would call a positive patriarch, it gives me some hope, right? It gives me some hope and it gives me some faith that the younger people, and Mark is a millennial. He's a millennial. And this is why I say that not all millennials are quote unquote bad. It's the, it's the Pluto effect. If a millennial can go through the fire, like they have to go through the fire with Pluto and Scorpio, if they can go through the fire, they will find themselves, they will individuate. And with the Neptune Uranus conjunction, that is a part of their astrological codec, they will change the culture. They will change the culture if they do not go through the fire, if they resist, if they are looking outside of themselves and are trying to blame the system or blame somebody else, they will be a destructive force. So millennials can either be a constructive force, and you just saw it right there, or they can be a destructive force. And it's it's a gener it's a it's a generation. Right. It is a generation, Gen Y, that has this power of transformation and choice. So I'm, you know, and I, and I talk about this when I talk about the millennials. You know, they're not all part of childhood's end. And when I talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Christopher Knowles, which is a great interview, by the way that once they go through the fire, look what he's doing. He's like, oh, here I am. You know, I'm, I'm engaged in a major cultural operation. And all he has to do is stay on top of it to the best of his ability because his path has been lit 
by his relationship with God. And would, however you like, you know, term that or however you label that, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that in that moment, and I knew when he was going through that, he reached out to me and we did something and I was like, okay, well, this is where you are right now. He got through it and he was, he was really, really in the clutches of something very dark, very, very dark. And he would not have been able to get through that without this higher agency that came in to support him in that moment and beyond. So uh, just an absolute great story. And I hope you are as inspired by it um, as I am. So I'll have all the links for his website, some of those videos. If you, I, I realized that I probably didn't have the volume on for the Sue Peters video. I realized that. So I apologize for that, but you could go back and watch it. It's 14 minutes. And basically, you know, he says, pretty much what he said on, on uh, the show here today. So I'll have all those links. Also big thanks to Christopher Lynch who uh, started us off today and did a fantastic job, you know, breaking down the uh, importance of staying in the game, right? Staying in the game so that you can work towards the type of world that you want. That's exactly what Mark is doing. He's got two children, one on the way, He's invested. He's all in. And then you have to maintain your, your body in order to, to do that. I have my own version of that. You know, when I, I, I've gone through, you know, certain iterations, like I've been doing this since 2010. Where this, is, this is my 12th year of podcasting. I was podcasting when not many people were podcasting. I made the transition to YouTube in 2015 only because I wasn't really into video. I, I like just audio. I like just talking. I don't always like looking at myself, which I'm doing right now. It inhibits my imagination in a lot of ways. Um, but I made that transition because I knew that that's where everything was going. So I started to have my podcast. Actually, my podcasts were getting put on YouTube. I think as far back as 2013, but they weren't being um, recognized by the algo. And... Once I started to do videos, theoretically, the algo began to pick it up. And, you know, I've had to evolve along the way, too. I mean, you go back and look at where I was probably around 20, let's go 17, 2018, and even into 2019, like, I was a fat fuck. I had a, a fat fuck face. Not that that really matters. You can have a fat fuck face and still be a good person. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I was a fat fuck and I was unhealthy. And my lifestyle was unhealthy. It wasn't like I was, you know, engaged in like, you know, lascivious and wanton sex. That was a different period of my life. But I was engaged in self-medicating. I was lonely uh, you know, this is isolating work a lot of the time. I don't, you know, I don't have a family, at least not a traditional one like Mark has. Uh, so, you know, where would I go? I'd, I'd go out to the bar and, you know, I knew all the people there and, and I was cool and they were cool and I'd meet people and people from out of town. Fredericksburg's a big tourist joint and, you know, I'm easy to talk to and funny and, 
So I engage with people. I'd ask people questions. Most people never have questions asked of them. You know, never. And not, and not questions that are in, uh, interrogative, but like curious, like, who are you? Where do you come from? What do you do? And then, you know, engage in a conversation, which is what we do here every Friday. And so they would, you know, they would invariably like, hey, can I get you a beer? And I didn't do it for that. Right. I didn't do it like, hey, let me hustle a beer. It's just a normal course thing. Sometimes I buy somebody drinks or whatever. Right. But it took its toll. And that and my diet and to some degree, my sedentary lifestyle. And I'm like, fuck, you know, I'm not feeling well. I don't look well. I've got to change my life. I've got to change my habituation. So I, you know, I ch- began to change my diet. I began to exercise more. I began to take better care of myself because I was in pretty bad shape physically. Like I was on my way to diabetes. I mean, that was no question about that. And then Dr. Joan came along and, you know, really enlightened me around sugar. Cause I, I always thought like, well, it's not high fructose corn syrup. It's cane sugar. That's got to be better for no sugar is fucking sugar. So I would get these, um, you know, organic, uh, fruit pops with, uh, you know, coconut ice cream in them, but there would be that cane sugar running through it. So uh, eventually I dropped that too, right? Stop drinking. I have a glass of wine every now and then with a, uh, you know, piece of, you know, good red meat. I think on uh, 4th of July, over the course of that day, starting probably at about two o'clock until about 1030 at that night, I think I had three Bud Lights over that day. It's 4th of July. It was hot. I'm cooking, right? I'm not going to try to justify it. So I'm just telling you, like, I'm being honest, like, well, I don't drink it. No, every now and then I'll have a glass of wine and you know, and every now and then I'll, you know, very rarely will I have a beer very rarely. And I did get a little, I did get a little drunk after Rosie died. I'm just a confession. <laughs> I had about uh, maybe three shots of tequila after Rosie died. That was a very hard day for me. I think you can understand that. Um, so but that's what happens, right? You've got to stay in the game. And I said to myself, I've got to stay in the game. Like I'm not done here. You know, I've got things to do. I can't tap out. So that's why I think Christopher is really, really helpful, beneficial. And that if you take on CBD as a practice in, in, in some ways, it can really help you it can really assist in your being able to stay in the game. Um, let me talk a little bit about October because we're going to have a get together here in October in Texas. And it's uh, going to be in Kerrville and my buddy, David Palmer is um, going to be with us. And let me go to the uh, website here. He's going to be with us and, David has really come through his own fire with his bout with uh, the mini vid and uh, people have been, I, unfortunately I don't, I don't watch him on high vibe, but uh, I do catch some of his stuff on YouTube. And it's, it seems to me like David has dropped into like a deeper spiritual space. 
uh, post mini vid. And I'm very excited to see where this part of his journey takes him. And uh, he'll be here uh, in Texas. And uh, you can go to my website. And uh, this is where you'll find everything. Uh, the uh, Harvest Moon details. That's at robertphoenix.com. And it tells you everything you need to know about the event, where it's going to be, how much it is. We have a cutoff uh, of August uh, 15th, if I'm not mistaken. So it's 7-Eleven until August 15th. You get four catered meals uh, at the... Uh, uh, at the hotel, uh, you get access to the hotel's facilities, which is pretty good. I mean, they've got two pools, Olympic-sized pool. They've got a hot tub. They have another pool, which is off-site, which overlooks the Guadalupe River. Uh, that's accessible to you. Beautiful pool. That's all available. You get snacks. You get coffee. You get tea. You get me. You get David. Uh, you get uh, David, you know, pumping out the electronic jams on Saturday night. So you get a double dose of David uh, and some other things that are, I'm still putting together some extracurricular activities, some Sunday events. It's going to be great. And uh, you have till August 15th to get the 7-Eleven price. After that, it goes to 800. And then you can cancel, although I hope you don't, uh, up till September 15th with a hundred dollar cancellation, I'm going to keep hundred dollars, hundred of your dollars. If you cancel, that's to keep you from canceling. I should probably make that more, but hopefully you, 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 you know, you're in, you're all in, but after the 15th, nobody can cancel because that's when headcount comes into play. The hotel has to buy food. You're in, you, you can cancel your room at any time, but after the uh, 15th of September, sorry, um, that's not going to happen. David's committed travel, right? Gas. So all that stuff, all that you're paying for is going into the facilities, the food, David, David's travel, right? My planning. I think it's still, by the way, it's still a bargain for what you're going to get three day, <clears throat> three, <clears throat> excuse me, three days of connection, um, in three days of, you know what I would call heightened consciousness and a great time to be in Texas too. It's October and the weather here is really good. Last year was spectacular. Um, the first year was a little on the chilly side, but last year was great. Absolutely great. Okay. I'm going to get out of here. Thanks for being here today. Thank you to my guest, Christopher Lynch from truehipscience.com and Mark Ballone, America. 21st century, 21century.com. It's 21 century, not 21st. That's the real estate company. This is a different kind of real estate. This is spiritual real estate. In the meantime, I'll see you guys on Sunday night, Sunday night Astro Live. I'm sorry about that. Um, I've got some goodies planned for that. You, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a special edition of Sunday night Astro Live. Hit subscribe, hit like, share the video. It's a great video to share. I know it's two hours but it's two informative and entertaining hours. So use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix, and uh, you are the best version of yourself, which has got incarnate in your expression. 
Bye for now. Take care. Have yourself a fantastic.
strange attraction, mass psychology, synchronicities, and occulted realities. Welcome to the Friday Farcast with Robert Phoenix.